This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. everybody. Uh, my name is Andy Herman, and I'm the uh, pastoral resident on staff here. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. Don't be shy. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 7 through 16 in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Here now, the reading of God's word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, what, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word for us this morning, and it will stand forever. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Lord, as we come before you to receive from your word, we ask that your spirit would be present with us, Lord, opening our minds, opening our ears, softening our hearts, Lord, enabling us to receive from your fullness. Lord, we believe that your word has the power to transform us and through us to transform the world around us, Lord. But we know that we can't manipulate that. We can't make that happen on our own. So please be present with us, Lord. Guide the words of my mouth. Guide the meditation of our hearts and transform us by your powerful word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Uh, we're taking a break, as you can tell, from our series in Exodus. And, and the reason I chose this passage is because I think this passage in Ephesians is very helpful for setting the tone for us as a church as we kind of come out on the other side, Lord willing, of the coronavirus pandemic and as things are starting to open back up. Um, I, I know one thing that I've been sensing, I think a lot of our leadership at the church has been sensing, and maybe you as congregants have been sensing, is that God is stirring up some new things here at our church and probably at many churches around the city and around the world. And so I think it's important for us to ask, 
as we, as we get excited to do things again, as we get excited to spend time in community together, as we get excited to study and grow and go out and serve and spread the gospel, as we get excited for all those things, it's important to ask, what is Jesus doing with the church? What, what does the church exist for and what is going on with the church in the world? Why, why are we united together in the church? I mean, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, and maybe you, maybe you have asked yourself, like, why can't I just worship Jesus at home on my own and just kind of do my own thing? And, you know, I'll be a Christian, I'll read my Bible, maybe I'll, you know, I'll sing some worship songs. Why can't we all just do that? Why, why do we have to be together in a body of believers like we, like we are here this morning? And I think this passage answers the question for us this morning of what Jesus is doing with the church, why he has brought us together as a body of believers. Um, earlier in Ephesians 4, just to give you a little bit of background before we dive into our passage this morning, uh, Paul, who's the author of the letter to the Ephesians, he talks about unity in the body of Christ. And, and what he talks about in the beginning part of Ephesians chapter 4 is how when God calls us, because God has called us to himself in Jesus, when he calls us, uh, he unites us to his son, Jesus. So there's a very real sense. If you're a believer, you are connected to Jesus in a very tangible, real way. The Bible uses the image of a, of a branch and a vine, of, of parts of a body, of a husband and a wife, of stones in a building. If you're a believer in Christ, you're connected to him in a very real way. But, but the implication of that is that as believers, if we're all connected to Christ, we're also connected to one another. And the image Paul is using in chapter 4 is that of a body. So when we become believers in Jesus, when God calls us to himself, each of us is connected to Jesus, the head. But by implication, we are necessarily connected to one another as well. And so Christianity, it can't be an individualistic thing where, you know, I'm just off on my own, it's just me and Jesus. When we're called to Jesus, we're called to one another in one body. And so here in our passage this morning, what Paul is laying out is what Jesus does with that body on earth. So if you're a believer and you've been connected to the church, the body of Christ, what is God doing in the church? And what is his role for you in the church today? And what is his role for you as we head out into this strange new world post-COVID-19 and try to look at what it means to be the church? I'd be, I'd be curious, I want you to think for a moment, what comes into your mind when you hear, whoop, bye notes, um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, what comes into your mind when you hear the term church growth? I think a lot of us, when we think of church growth, uh, think of really well-executed programs. We think of really good lighting and sound. Uh, we think of excellent music. We think of a very uh, well-toned, charismatic preacher like Adam. Uh, we, we think of really smooth, really flashy, really nicely executed programming that will draw people in, right? That's what church growth is. And there was a whole church growth movement in, in the last couple of decades that was centered around these things, around making the church uh, really attractive and enjoyable for people so that people would want to join but I think Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 gives us a very different picture of church growth. 
It gives us a very different picture of what it looks like to grow as the church. Um, And so that's what I want us to look at today. And and I'll give you my big idea up front this morning. So if you tune out, you know, you can just remember this. I think the central idea that Paul is conveying to us in, in this passage this morning is that Christ equips his people to build one another up into him for his glory. Christ equips his people, that's us, to build one another up into him for his glory. And that's the vision of church growth that Ephesians 4 gives us. And so as we're looking at this passage, I want you to keep keep in your mind what your conception or what the common conception of church growth is and contrast that to what we see here in this passage as we go through. So let's dive in and look at uh, where church growth comes from. Where does the growth of the body of Christ come from? What is Christ doing with his body on the earth? Starting in verse 7, when it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. When in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. There's some really odd language in this passage. At first, starting out in verse 7, right, when it talks about Christ giving grace to each one of us according to the measure of his gift, that feels fairly manageable, right? Jesus, is, he's giving us all giftings in order to serve his body. That kind of makes sense to us. Uh, but the really odd thing here is, is starting in verse 9, he goes off on this weird tangent. He quotes from Psalm 68 in verse 8. And that might be offset if you have, have a physical Bible there when it talks about ascending on high, leading a host of captives. But then in verse 9, he goes on this tangent. He is, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended? What is Paul talking about there? Ascension and descension. Well, the picture that Paul is trying to give us, it's all rooted in that quote from Psalm 68. And what Psalm 68 is, is it's a, it's a war hymn to God, praising him for his victory over his enemies. And so you get this picture of God as a warrior who has conquered his enemies and who is returning to his city victorious. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings. You know, you can get the picture of Aragorn returning to the White City. Right? God is a victorious king returning to his city and distributing gifts to his people, the spoils of war to his people. And the picture that Paul is giving us here is Jesus, who has ascended to heaven and now reigns over the entire universe, distributing gifts to his people to serve him. And he mentions that Jesus descended... I think to to remind us of an important point that Jesus isn't just some far-off king who just kind of gives us orders and tells us what to do. But Jesus, as our king, also gave himself for us, right? Stooped so low as to come down to this planet to take on a human body, to die in our place. And then, as he defeated sin, death, and the devil on the cross... He ascends as a victorious king and distributes his gifts to us. So that, and, and this, is, this is the key, to, I think, to the entire passage here in verse 11. He ascended, or in verse 10, rather. He ascended that he might fill 
all things. So Jesus came, died in our place, bought us with his blood, forgave our sins, defeated sin, death, and the devil. He's ascended to heaven as a victorious king and he's distributing gifts to his people. Why? So that he might fill all things. And this this language of filling, this language of fullness is so rich in Ephesians. And the, the basic idea here is that Jesus, as the king of the universe, is now filling the world with his glory. He's filling the universe with his grace, with his love, with his majesty, with his beauty. But, but the most incredible part of this passage is not that Jesus is filling the universe with his glory. It's how he's doing it. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, it describes Jesus as the king of the universe. In verse 22, it's, it's talking about the father and Jesus. It says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That is, the father gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So it's saying the church, us, the people of God, are the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. And so the picture that's going on here is that that Jesus is filling the universe with his glory, but how is he doing it? He is doing it by giving his grace to ordinary people like you and me and letting us be his fullness, the display of his majesty in the world. And so when we, when we ask, what is Jesus doing with the church? Why does Jesus bring us together into a body of believers rather than just having us go off on our own? It's because through bringing us together and building us up as one body of believers, Jesus is displaying his glory to the universe. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, think... Think about how ordinary the things we do as a church are. Think about how, how just plain and everyday and ho-hum it feels to come to church, to go to a Bible study, to talk to your fellow believers, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. Oftentimes, I think the experience of all of us is that glorious is the last word we would use to describe those experiences. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there right now and thinking, yes, glorious is the last word I would use to describe this experience right now. But, but the amazing truth of this passage is that Jesus, the king of the universe, has bought us with his blood and has chosen to display his glory, his fullness, by filling us, his body, ordinary people, with his grace and his love. And that's why Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3, just to show you Another connection is prayer for the believers in chapter 3 is that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Because as Jesus gives us his grace and fills us up with his goodness, his love, we display, display his fullness, his glory, his majesty, his beauty, his excellency to the world around us. And so when we're asking what church growth is, what the body of Christ is for, we have to start by noting that the foundation of church growth, the foundation of the building up of the body of Christ is the grace of Jesus. It all comes from him. And the goal of church growth is the glory of Christ. And, and that might sound really abstract and philosophical and unimportant, but let me, let me just dial in for a second here and, and let's talk about why that is so important. Because I think... 
if we're honest with ourselves, even in church, even in the thing that's obviously supposed to be all about God, we are so tempted to rely on our own wisdom and our own strength to get things done. And we are so tempted to make it all about our glory. We say it's about God, but so often it's about us. And it's so sad to see there are so often, there are, there are churches and, and we haven't, I'm sure we haven't been exempt from this at times. In churches, so often the case is that if the Holy Spirit was, was never there, if the Holy Spirit left the building and did nothing, nothing would change. Because we, we get so in our heads about, oh yes, like I know how to do this. I can do this. It's my charisma or my wisdom or my ability. And when we do it that way, it ends up becoming all about my glory. And so we need to remember, as we, as we begin to look at some of the more practical side of how Jesus builds his church, we need to remember that church growth has to be built on the foundation of Christ's grace, and it has to be aimed towards the goal of Christ's glory. Nothing else will work. Everything else will get us off course. So having said that, let's look at how Christ builds his church in the rest of this passage. And there's two there's two points I want to look at in the rest of this passage, which is first equipping the body for growth, preparing the body for growth, and then how the body grows. So first let's look at equipping the body for growth. In verse 11, Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That word equip you can think of it as putting on equipment, right? Putting on armor, putting on sports equipment. It's preparing so you can rightly accomplish a task. And Paul mentions these different roles that, that Christ has given in order to equip his church to grow. Uh, he mentions apostles, which would have been the immediate followers of Jesus who knew him in his life and who were given special authority at the beginning of the church. Uh, the prophets, who would have been Another group in the early church that was given special revelation from God. We don't believe that they are around anymore. The apostles and the prophets were at the beginning of the church when Christ uh, first ascended. And then we see evangelists, those who go and proclaim the gospel, church planners, missionaries. And then we see shepherds and teachers, which would be shepherds is often translated pastors. And so shepherds and teachers, is, it's pastors. It's those in the office of the church who have the responsibility of teaching and shepherding and leading the church. And, and it's interesting to point out when Paul says that Jesus gave these gifts to equip the church, two of those offices no longer are active in the church. Apostles and prophets are no longer active in the church. And, and so why would Paul, assuming he knows that this is for the Ephesians, but also for the church down through the ages, why would he emphasize the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers all together in one group when he's talking about how Christ equips his church for growth? I think what Paul is getting at here is what the apostles and the prophets have left to the church. Uh, because even though we don't have apostles and prophets with us actively any longer, what we do have is the New Testament, right? The scripture, which was given to us by the apostles and the prophets as the word of God. And so what Paul is getting at here when he's describing these roles for equipping the church is that Christ equips his church to grow through his word 
by the special calling of gifted men. So Christ equips his church to grow through his word by calling specially gifted men. And I just want to unpack what that means for us a little bit. So the apostles and the prophets wrote the word. They gave us the word of God. Well, God gave us the word through them, rather. And the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers now are responsible for teaching us the word of God, for equipping us with the word of God. And, and this is important. I think Paul gives us this qualifier because if we, if we think back to the fact that the goal of the building of the body of Christ is the glory of Jesus, we have a specific goal, a target that we're aiming for. If we think to that, the role of the word of God and teachers of the word of God in the church is to keep us on track to that goal. It, later in the passage, Paul, Paul describes us as growing, attaining to the unity of the faith. That is the unity, the faith here is a noun. It's like the things we believe about Jesus and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Again, knowing Christ requires knowing who he is, knowing him truly. And, and then later he talks about speaking the truth in love. And so the idea here is that when we grow as a body, we have to be directed by God's word in order to grow properly. Um, I'm sure we've all seen, you know, those little trees that get blown by the wind and they just start growing sideways, right? And they just kind of lump over. Um, that's what we're like without the word of God to direct us as we grow. If we're not directed by the word of God as we grow as a church, we'll end up making it about my satisfaction. We'll end up making it about a super charismatic, wonderful leader. We'll end up making it about building a brand. We'll end up making it about anything other than the glory of Jesus who has redeemed us and brought us together. And so we need the word of God to direct our growth in order to reach the proper goal, in order to reach the finish line. And one other, one other important point of application here that this passage I think rubs against maybe some of our tendencies, although we're all here, is that we need the word of God as taught by those that God has called. Um, again, to go back, I mentioned it earlier, but I think especially in our very individualistic culture, we get this idea sometimes that if it's, as long as I read my Bible and I do my thing with Jesus, that is sufficient. But Paul is making it very clear here that, that Jesus intentionally gives us teachers, he gives us leaders to equip us so that we'll grow in the right way. And so to claim that we don't need teachers is to, is to think that we are wiser than Jesus when it comes, how, comes to how to build his church. We need to sit under the authority of those who Christ has given authority to. And that doesn't mean we never question them. That doesn't mean they can't ever be wrong. But it means that we need to be actively, intentionally seeking to learn from those who God has called to teach his word. And as we do that, as we are guided by his word, both privately and together under the teachers that he has given us, what happens is that we are equipped for the work of ministry. And this leads us into kind of the final point, which is how the body of Christ is built. And I, and I want to note here that it says that, that Jesus gives us these, these men, the shepherds and the teachers and all the rest, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There's something important to note there. 
is that Jesus does not give us the pastors and the teachers and all the rest to do the work of ministry. Jesus does not give us the pastors and the teachers to build up the body of Christ. He gives them to us to equip the body so that the saints, that is, all of us who are believers in Jesus, would do the work of ministry and build up the body. And I think another danger we often face, especially in American Christianity, is the temptation of professionalization and programmatization. We face the temptation to leave everything up to the paid professionals in the church. And it, and it becomes, what it becomes is a group of paid professionals, clergy and lay people who are paid to run these programs so that me and my family can come and get, you know, the good kids program we want, the good teaching that I want, the good music that I want, whatever it is that I want. We come, we get these programs from these professionals, and then we leave and we go home, and then we do it again the next week. But that is not the image of the body of Christ that we have here. Rather, the image that Paul is giving us is that the shepherds and the teachers, those that God has called, are here to equip you, to put armor on you so that you can go out and fight the battle. And so if you're a Christian, you are called to ministry. Whether or not you're going to be a pastor or a youth ministry person or a children's ministry person, whether or not you ever have any official role in the church body itself, you are called to ministry if you're a believer in Christ. You are called to be equipped by God's word, directed by God's word, strengthened by God's word, and then to go out and build the church, to build the kingdom of God on earth. And so what does it look like for us to build one another up as the body of Christ? What does it look like for the church to build itself up, for the saints to do the work of ministry? First, I, I want us to note that Paul's primary focus in this passage is maturity, not casting the net wide, necessarily. His, his first focus is that we would attain to the unity of the faith that we would grow together and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that is, that we would grow deeper in our knowledge of Jesus, not just intellectually, but in our knowledge of him in a relationship, of knowing him, of walking with him. And then he says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, hear this word, of the fullness of Christ. And so the image here is that as we're equipped by God's word, we go out and we encourage one another to grow together, to know Jesus more deeply, more intimately, more powerfully, to become mature Christians, to grow up that he uses the image of not being children a little later in the passage. And then to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is, as we receive from Jesus, from his word, and as we grow up together, uh, we become what we're meant to be, which is, as, as Ephesians 1 says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, we become the body that displays Jesus' glory as we are called to do. We become those who as one body together display the beauty and the majesty and the power and the glory of the one who has saved us and brought us together. And that doesn't preclude growing wide. As, as, as we grow up, 
you know, we get, the bodies get bigger as they grow up. I know I've gotten bigger as I've continued to grow, right? Bodies, bodies grow wider. But the, but the first focus in building the body of Christ is not simply trying to put on as many programs and get as many people as we can. It's, it's that we would build one another up in love, as verse 16 says. It's that we would encourage one another to know Christ, to be filled with Christ's beauty and grace, and to display Christ's glory to the world. That's what we're called to. And that's what we're called to do, not for ourselves, but for one another. I mean, look, look around. I, actually, look around for a second. Look at the people around you. Look to your left. Look to your right. You have a ministry to the people that you just looked at, if you're a believer in Jesus. You are called to build those people up, to encourage them to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to be filled by Jesus, and to display the beauty of Jesus together. That is your ministry. That is what you are called to, Christian. And so how do we do that? Well, Paul doesn't give us an exhaustive answer here, uh, but he does give us a beginning of an answer. And this is, this is kind of where we'll start to land the plane. Uh, and he says in verse 15 that, that we should not be tossed, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. We should be guided by God's word. We should be kept stable. And then verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And so speaking the truth in love, and I really wrestled Uh, this week with why Paul focuses on speaking in this passage. Why, Why is speaking the truth in love the first thing that Paul tells us about building each other up in Christ? I think the answer, the best answer I found, is found in the words of Christ, which is that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is to say, our speaking is to be representative of our doing, our living, our heart, what we long for. And so when Paul is telling us to speak the truth in love, he's telling us to remind each other of the truths of Christ, to encourage each other in the truth of God's word, in love, that is, with the good of the other person in mind, not so that they'll think we're really wise, not so that they'll think we're really cool, not so that we can look awesome, but so that they would be built up. But we're speaking the truth in love as the beginning of a life of truth and love. We're speaking the truth in love. That is is kind of like the very first outer layer of what is meant to be a life of living in truth and love with one another so that we can build each other up in Christ. A life together guided by the truth of God's word with the good of one another in mind. That is what Paul is envisioning here in Ephesians chapter 4. And that is what it looks like to build up the body of Christ. To point each other to God's truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's grace in Jesus. And to live not with my good in mind, not even just with my family's good in mind, but with everyone else's good in mind that they might be built up, that they might know Jesus, that they might display his glory. And so when the body is working properly, what happens is that it builds itself up in love. That's how verse 16 concludes. And so as we as a church head into this new season, 
as we start to think about what we want to be as a church, as what we're called to as Christians, as things open back up, I think it's worthwhile for us to seriously reflect what Christ is calling us to as a body of believers. Because the temptation for us and the temptation for all Christians will be to rely on human wisdom and power and methodology to, to, to unite around human factors, either around, you know, some niche thing that we have or, or just some vague idea of being nice and feeling good and to do it all to glorify ultimately ourselves. That's the temptation that we easily fall into. But what Christ is calling us to from his word is that we would be in absolute dependence upon his grace, equipped by his word, working to build one another up so that as a body, we display his beauty for the watching world to see. That is what we are called to as a church. That is what you are called to as a Christian. And may God grant that that is what we will do as a church as we head into the future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are you are the glorious king of the universe. You are the beginning and the end, Lord, the alpha and the omega. You are the source of all things good and beautiful. And yet so often we aim for lesser glories, Lord Jesus. And, and I ask now that as, as we finish this worship service, as we go out into the week, that you would give us a vision for what it would look like to live this passage out, Lord, that you would give us a vision for what it would look like to be in absolute dependence upon you, building one another up for your glory, Lord Jesus, and that you would, by your spirit, equip us for that work. Lord, we, we have no wisdom or no strength of our own that we can do it. It's, it's all dependent upon you. So please, strengthen us and glorify yourself in us now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 